You're listening to the SSPX Podcast, and welcome to the next installment of our mini-series on G.K. Chesterton's The Everlasting Man. We recently sat down with Father David Sherry, the Superior of the District of Canada for the Society of St. Pius X. The main focus of this mini-series has been the chapter of The Everlasting Man called The Five Deaths of the Faith. Today, we'll dive a little deeper into that meaning and also look at what Father Sherry calls the sixth death of the faith. He proposes that would Chesterton be writing this book today, he would have included the modernist revolution in the mid-20th century as the sixth death of the faith. We'll discuss this and what it means and what we can do about it. We're happy to welcome Father David Sherry. Father Sherry, thank you for joining us. Um, We've been speaking with you quite a bit recently, and it's great to have you back uh, to speak about this small mini-series, I guess you could call it, about G.K. Chesterton. Uh, So, Father, how are things going? Very well, very well. Thank you very much for having me on again, Andrew, and I'm always happy to to talk about G.K. Chesterton as he's one of my favorite authors. Yeah, absolutely. You've referenced him a few times, so it's nice to be able to do a a whole episode on on him. Um, We have been looking specifically at uh, G.K. Chesterton and The Everlasting Man. Why does this have relevance for us today, Father? So, in 1925, uh, Gilbert Keith Chesterton uh, wrote a book called The Everlasting Man, and he said in the book that he was going to propound the thesis, and I quote, that those who say that Christ stands side by side with similar myths and his religion side by side with similar religions are only repeating a very stale formula contradicted by a very striking fact. Uh, He wrote it in response to H.G. Wells, who had written a a sort of a short uh, or, let's say, concise history of the world, the outline of history. And uh, Chesterton, as always, was very complimentary to Wells about the way in which he wrote it, but uh, he was not so complimentary about the thesis behind it, which is effectively that uh, there is an evolution and the Darwinism is uh, is leading the world and things are getting better and better and better and better and things are inevitably going to work out for the best. And Chesterton said, well, if you actually look at history, that's not the, the thing that should be taken from it. And if you look at reality, you'll see, first of all, that man is not just another animal. And that's the first part of the everlasting man, which is that man, compared to the animals, is not just another animal at all. Uh, is, is in fact specifically different in that he alone has an immortal soul. And then the second part of the book is to compare Christ and his religion to all the other religions, and they're not the same. The, uh, the other religions are all, in fact, false, and Christ and his religion is the true one. And uh, in the end of that book, uh, he, his final chapter is about the five deaths of the faith. And uh, I think that's what we're going to speak about more particularly today. All right. So the five deaths of the faith, it sounds uh, fairly ominous. Is he talking metaphorically or literally? Well, he's effectively talking about the fact that Christianity has seemingly died many times. And it's not a literal death because clearly Christ has promised to the church that it would never 
uh, fail, but that uh, it would always uh, be able to stand up to the gates of hell. But the, the reality is that the church is the mystical body of Christ. And just as Christ has two natures, so he is true God, he's got a divine nature, and he's true man, he has a human nature, these two natures being united in the one person of the uh, Son of God, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, so also the church which he founded has, as it were, two natures. It is divine by its institution, its constitution, uh, the life within it, and it is also human. It is uh, composed, in the church militant at least, of those who are sinners and who can sin and who do sin, and who do all sorts of terrible things, and both because of that and because of uh, attacks from the devil, from, from outside of the church, uh, the church has seemingly died. And so these five deaths which he mentions are for, during the Arian crisis, when most of the bishops, almost all of them in fact, uh, went along with the Arian heresy, which said that Christ is not truly God, the Albigensian heresy, which was the return of the Manichees. And now the Manichees are those who say that there are, in fact, two gods, effectively. There's a good god. Uh, he's uh, the creator of spiritual things. And then there's a bad god. He's the creator of material things. And so good and evil are sort of starkly contrasted like that. And we must be more spiritual and reject material things. And the church seemed to be overtaken by this heresy. But in fact, as after the Arian heresy, it rose again. Then he mentions the humanist skeptic attack on the church, uh, Voltaire, uh, etc., the seeming death after Darwin. And in each of these cases, he says, the church seemed to go to the dogs but in every case, it was the dog who died. And this is the reality that the church rises from the dead on each occasion. Why? Because like its master, it knows the way out of the grave. And this really is the difference then between the Catholic church, that is the church uh, which has been founded by Jesus Christ, which is the mystical body of Christ, and all other religions. All other religions are man-made or diabolical-made, and so they do not rise again. They become associated with a particular, uh, a particular society or a particular culture, a particular time, and when that society and culture die, they die along with it. So, for example, the, the Roman gods, so... Uh, they, the Roman gods, paganism, died along with uh, the Roman Empire, let's say. Obviously, the, it was dying from the moment that Christianity arrived, but it's never risen again. Uh, whereas, uh, the Catholic Church did become the official religion of the Roman Empire, and when the Roman Empire died, the Church went on. The Catholic Church was certainly the soul of the uh, what Chesterton calls the good medieval period, the good middle age, and they, that passed away, but the church continued on. And in each case, the Catholic church, because it is divine, has been able to survive uh, the deaths 
which it has occurred. Now, the, <clears throat> these deaths, uh, which, which he's talking about, Andrew, so effectively, the, the most surprising part is that the deaths are not only violent deaths, or let's say those which come from the outside, let's say the attack of heretics, but also what he calls natural death. And this is quite a, mm. an important point, because a natural death is when somebody grows old and starts becoming more feeble and in the end simply dies. And the Catholic Church has suffered from this because the culture, let's say, of the people who are alive can degenerate. So the, the principles uh, which are guiding us can be very true. However, if we don't put them into effect, then they don't actually bring about their, uh, their result. Uh, let me give you an example. Let's imagine in a Catholic home, uh, the principles which officially guide us in the Catholic home are that we serve God before all things and we avoid sin. But in practice, we actually uh, watch, you know, bad movies and we listen to bad music and we uh, dress in an immodest way. Officially, we got an official religion of our home. Uh, perhaps we, we, uh, we, on Sundays, we pay uh, service to that official religion. But in reality, that's not what we do. Well, what will actually happen then is that your official religion will disintegrate and you will lose it once that it is attacked. You're sort of, there's a natural death which is happening here. And this has happened many times in the church, whereby the uh, men and women in the church have uh, grown uh, have grown used to the, the the truth which Christ has 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 given, but they no longer put it into effect, and the clergy uh, start living sinful lives, and so the, uh, the 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 faith in a sense becomes a shell only because it's not actually being lived. And uh, Chesterton points out in the, the beginning of the chapter that the uh, enemies of the faith are always telling us that priests and ceremonies are not religion and that religious organization can be a hollow sham. You know, this, uh, this thing that people say, which is, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual, because, they say, uh, religion is, or religious organization is often a sham. The priests, the bishops are just effectively paying lip service, uh, which is what our Lord reproached to the Pharisees when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. This can happen in the Catholic Church and has happened and does happen. And this is true. It's because of that, then, it would seem that if it's just a human thing, then it's going to die because of the corruption which has attacked uh, the, the body of the church. Remember the divine part of the church, it's intangible. Just as Christ on the cross, uh, he died only in his human nature. He did not die in the divine nature because the divine nature is immortal. And so also in the Catholic church, what happens is that it dies insofar as it can because of the, uh, let's say, the corruption or the 
turning away from God, which occurs. But because it is divine, it never dies, but always comes to life again. Uh, one of the things which actually um, certainly attacks the church is, of course, the, the sins of the clergy. People are sometimes um, scandalized by the sins of the clergy. How can it be, they say, that if the Catholic Church is true, the clergy, you know, commit sins? And the answer is, uh, given to us by St. Thomas More in his dialogue, he uh, was listening to this objection, and he says that wherever there is a class so numerous, there is bound to be sinners, okay? We're not mm -hmm. living in the, uh, the promised land of the heavenly Jerusalem yet. That day will come uh, after the general resurrection, for the moment, we are still living in a fallen world which has received the life of grace. But this life of grace which we receive, and which in particular the, uh, the priests profess to live, this life of grace can be lost because we have free will. We, are, uh, we still have our tendency towards sin. And so he says that it's, it is to be expected that the, there will be uh, sinners among the clergy, many lewd, he says, many, uh, many sinners, but their real sin is greater. So the sin of the clergy is greater, he says, because they're bound to be better. But else the things that they mind be the self-same sins that we sin in ourselves. In other words, people often point and say, oh my goodness, look at the hypocrisy of the clergy. And they could well be right. Sure. But then they say, well, you know, how could, they can't be true. But actually, it's the sins that, that everyone commits, let's say. What has happened is that the, the truth of Christ, the life of grace, has no longer been put into practice. Back in the uh, 17th century, St. Oliver Plunkett, who was sent as a missionary uh, to Ireland, he was an Irishman, but it was time of persecution, and uh, he had this saying, he said, in the time of St. Patrick, it, the chalices were made of wood and the priests were made of gold. Now the priests are made of, of wood and the chalices are made of gold. In other words, it's always been the problem. If we, if we sort of let ourselves go, you know this in your own uh, spiritual life, if you let yourself go, well, you start falling back, you start falling into sin. And it's the same for the church. One of the particular difficulties, or one of the particular things, of course, is Phariseeism, the Pharisees. And this is something that's often been pointed at the church. It's, oh, well, you're saying that we should do these things, but you don't do them yourself. And this is true. It's, it's very true that we can do that. Now, it's one thing to say, well, you're saying that we should do these things. Uh, in other words, let's say you should keep the commandments and you don't do it yourself. Well, it's better that we keep the principle that we should keep the commandments rather than we should say, well, I'm not keeping the commandments, so let's get rid of them. Okay? Right. So that's, that's, what, that's another temptation is you could say, well, you know, uh, for years the, the priests were saying we need to keep the sixth commandment, but many of them, let's say, were not doing it themselves. There have been periods in the history of the church, the 11th century, for example, and other, many other periods where the priests by and large, we're not really keeping the Sixth Commandment. 
Therefore, let's get rid of the Sixth Commandment. No, the correct solution is, therefore, we need to return to the commandments. We need to return to the ideal of holiness and to the, uh, the ideal of sanctification, which will enable us to return to the, uh, to the teaching and example of Christ. But Pharisees are always a problem. And Pharisees do not only exist in the church or in religion. Pharisees exist everywhere. Because what a Pharisee is, uh, Andrew, a Pharisee is not someone who just tries to make, you know, life difficult for other people. That's one of the things that he can do. A Pharisee is somebody who does things in order to be seen. And our Lord Jesus Christ points this out in Matthew chapter 6 uh, when he says that the Pharisees, uh, when they pray, they do it in public so that everybody can see them. You, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. The Pharisees have had their reward. Or when they give an alms, they, uh, they do it where everybody can see them. We see these people on, uh, on uh, social media, you know. Oh, I've just made a donation of, uh, you know, 50 bucks to the Angelus Press uh, Injured Cats Fund. Uh, look at me. <laughs> and uh, they, they say, okay, wow, look at me. That's a Pharisee. It's somebody who's doing things in order to be seen. And that's one of the particular uh, dangers, I, I would say, of social media in particular, is that it trains you to be a Pharisee. Now, I'm not saying that social media can't be used, let's say, by a business or at a professional level for, for useful things. But in general, it trains you to be a Pharisee because it's not just you saying something, it's you being seen to say something. And that's right. what a Pharisee does. A Pharisee is not someone who has a good intention but is weak, okay? So this could be where uh, you have someone who has good intentions. Let's say um, someone who intends to be a good Catholic um, tells everybody around them, not in a Pharisaical way, but uh, in a just a normal way, that I'm, I'm now converting to the Catholic faith. My baptism is happening on such a day. I intend to, to live a good Catholic life. And then... After that, uh, us being human beings and sinful human beings, maybe they fall into some sort of sin. You know, maybe it's a, a Catholic uh, filmmaker who, you know, maybe doesn't get out of the evil um, occasion of sin, which is Hollywood, and the next thing is he falls into sin. Is he a hypocrite? No. He's someone who had good intentions, but has been weak and has neglected prayer, um, I'm not talking of anybody in particular, I'm talking in general, this is what has happened. A hypocrite, on the other hand, is someone who does not have a good intention. It's someone who uh, has sort of uh, decided really that given that I do things to please men and to appear before men, what I'm really interested in is conforming to human law. I'm conforming to whatever is politically correct. I'm not interested in the truth. And that's really the, the something which is going to kill the church at each time, is if the Pharisees are in control, that is, they're not actually interested in serving God and in the truth. They're interested in what is pleasing to men. Uh, so men, for example, say that uh, we have to, um, I don't know, we have to uh, put environmental protection first. And so in order to... Uh, conform to that. That's what I do. Well, this is this is uh, this is a cause of death. 
And then uh, a third thing about the Pharisees, which helps you to understand them, is that they're interested in doing things to be seen. They're interested in pleasing men, conforming to human law rather than divine law. Uh, the third thing about them is, a way to understand them is that whatever they say, it's not just a lie, but it's the opposite, which is the truth. Okay? Uh, that's the, the Pharisee, because he, is, he does not love truth, he in fact has an operation of lying. And you can actually understand the truth by knowing that what he says, it's the opposite, which is the truth. Uh, first Pharisee was uh, Lucifer, who's not interested in truth. He's not interested in reality. He's interested in myself. I'm so great, how I appear to others. And he says to Eve, he says, if you disobey God, you will be like gods. Okay, that's a lie. But it's not just a lie. It's the exact opposite, which is the truth. It's you will not be like gods. You'll be like devils. Uh, same thing with the uh, chief priests and the Pharisees go before Pilate. They go before Pilate and they say, uh, we found this man forbidding to pay tribute to Caesar. And then think about that for a second. Well, that's a lie. Well, it's actually the exact opposite, which is the truth, is he said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And there's lots and lots of examples. Daniel chapter 13, the, uh, the, two, uh, the two rulers of the people who accuse Susanna. So they accuse her of being lewd and being impure. It's the exact opposite, which is the truth. And so that's how you kind of understand the Pharisees. And it's very dangerous because that's, that's going to kill the faith. Because now when I say kill the faith in the sense of Chesterton, which is that the faith has become divorced or the life has become divorced from the faith. And so it's going to die off a bit like he says, a snake sheds its skin. But the thing is, when the snake sheds its skin, another skin comes. Uh, the cat loses one of his lives and he's got another life. And this is the uh, Catholic Church, which is that each time it seems that the Catholic Church is going to die because it is being ruled by the Pharisees, uh, because it is being uh, ruled by heretics, as in the case of the, the Arian uh, crisis, when most of the bishops were heretics. That's it. It's finished. It's all going to die. Each time the undertaker brings the Catholic Church to the grave, and each time it's the undertaker who is buried. And uh, this, this, is the, this is what shows that the Catholic truth is, the Catholic truth, Catholic religion, is different from all other religions. When the Druids died off, uh, when Christianity came to Celtic lands, that was it. There is no more, uh, there are no more revivals of the Druidic religion. You've got some people who, who pretend to do that, but it's dead. It's not coming back to life. The Roman gods, the Greek gods, the Norse gods, they're not coming back to life. Uh, 2,000 years, Christ died 2,000 years ago. He came back to life. The Catholic Church has died many times. It is, it is and has come back to life. Um, so that's, that's effectively what he means uh, by the, the five deaths of the faith. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, we're, we're titling this, this episode, The Sixth Death of the Faith. Um, so we've, we've seen what Chesterton has been talking about. Obviously, Chesterton was writing far before you know, our time, our current time, and, and the, the period in which we're living in 
with the the crisis in the church as as we call it i'm sure maybe a few hundred years from now they may call it something else uh but that's what we call it today um you're going to kind of take what chesterton is saying and then apply it to our position today is that correct right so yeah so we can look at what's happening today uh in the in the catholic church and we can see since the second vatican council but also before the second vatican council that there seems to be all of the elements necessary to bring about the death of the catholic church uh on a purely material level you can say that the number of priests has gone through the floor there were back in the old days you know thousands and thousands of priests and now it's down dwindling to you know hundreds and the average age is a very high uh, for example in france i was reading recently approximately 800 priests die every year and approximately 80 are ordained so that's uh, a replacement of uh, one in ten ten die off one replaces the uh, faith the practice of the faith seems to have disappeared and so the catholic church is dying and the people who say that the people who say yeah once we're rid of the catholic church uh again then uh we're going to be free we're going to be happy um i'm at the moment stationed here in quebec that's sort of the the feeling you get you know that back in the old days uh, quebec was a, a very catholic uh province and now the the uh, official version is we've thrown off the terrible yoke of the catholic church and now we're free but of course what has actually happened is that we've thrown off the so-called yoke of the catholic church and now we've become the slaves of the government uh, for example the uh, the archbishop of quebec asked the government for permission for him he the archbishop of quebec to set up a high school a catholic high school in his diocese and he was forbidden permission he can't even set up a school uh, so uh, this is this is what is just an example of what has happened. So it seems, in fact, then that all of the things are there. And some people will say, "Well, this is it. The Catholic Church has had its day. It's had its time. You know, let's go with the times." And these people are very, very silly because we happen to be living through a time now, just as everybody throughout history lived through their times. To say that things are good or better simply because of the date is, is complete nonsense. Uh, you may remember when uh, Justin Trudeau was elected as Prime Minister of Canada in 2015, he decided that half of his cabinet would be uh, women and half would be men, uh, even though only a quarter of the members of Parliament were women. So effectively, if you were a woman in Parliament, uh, you had uh, much more chance of being a member of the cabinet. In any case, he was asked, why? Why have you done that? And he replied, famously, because it's 2015. So, in other words, the reason I'm doing this is because of the time. Well, that's a bit like saying, well, you know, why did you, um, you know, why did you steal your brother's dog? Well, because it was 10 minutes past 11. Well, that, that doesn't explain it at all. It, that doesn't... Uh, that doesn't shed any light. It's not the time, it's, it's the truth. And so people who say, well, the Catholic Church is finished, well, look back through history, the Catholic Church has been finished many times, and it never, in fact, dies off. 
Other people are going to say, well, look at what's happened is that the Catholic Church is, you know, ailing. We need to get back to the Middle Ages. We need to, to get back to doing how things were done back in those times. And these people are not right either, because there is a certain truth in we need to get back to how things were. Whatever is essential does not change. So if we have veered away from the faith and we have veered away from the, uh, the mass of all time, if we have veered away from the sacraments of all time, yes, we have to get back to them. However, the accidents, you know, let's say the, the things which are not essential, well, in fact, the Catholic Church has gone through life and death of many different ways of doing things in many different cultures and many different countries. And in each time, the Catholic Church did not become adapted to what was wrong in the culture, but it rather assimilated the, the, the time and the culture to the truth. And so, feudalism uh, was there. The Catholic Church was there in feudalism. Feudalism disappeared, and the Catholic Church continues. And so, what we must not do is have the false idea, well, if we could only get back to the way things were done in the 1950s, then everything's going to be fine. No. What we need to is to uh, return to the essence of the faith, to the essence of uh, the life of the church, and what was effectively what was handed down by Christ and the apostles, and all of those truths which are part of that, the wisdom of the tradition of the church, and uh, insofar as the, uh, you know, the time and the place in which we live is consonant with the faith, then it's not, uh, it's not something that we need to get rid of. Uh, we're not uh, sort of thinking, well, we have to get rid of motor cars because they are an occasion of, uh, of sin in some way. It's no. When you have the faith, then you dispose of everything uh, material of creatures in the correct way. So um, it's a bit like St. Ignatius' first principle in the, in the exercises of St. Ignatius, when he says, man was made to know, love, and serve God. And the corollary is, therefore, all creatures must help me to go to God and must not hinder me from going to God. And so if we get back to our time in which we are, this crisis of the faith, where our leaders are not leading us, where the bishops are not guiding us towards heaven, where the Pope, rather than teaching us the faith, uh, is in fact doing the opposite, but is, uh, is teaching us error, um, we have to remember, first of all, with confidence, that uh, the Church is divine. Its, its head is divine, and the Church is not going to die. It may seem to die, but it will come back to life. On each occasion, Chesterton says, the old were fanatically against the faith and the young were fanatically for it. And you see this in the traditional uh, movement, let's say. Uh, in general, the traditional movement, which is what is trying to continue the, uh, the essence of the faith, the life of the faith, which is in fact alive, it's, it's full of, of young people, young families, etc., Whereas when you go down to your local Novus Ordo church, chances are that unless you're over 70, you're probably the youngest person there. Um, and that, that's the reality. And that's why it's, I mean, it's sad, but it's also funny in a way 
that you see the uh, the Vatican has been attacking the traditional uh, mass, etc. And you think to yourself, well, that's actually, apart from anything else, that's actually where the growth is. This is where there is growth in the church. Why are you trying to get rid of that? And it's it's part of the uh, it's part of the the uh, program. So, if I could, uh, Andrew, I would finish off with uh, a couple of of words of advice in the uh, in the current situation that we lived. Is that we have to live in eternity. Okay, what is in eternity is outside of time. What is in eternity is God is truth. And we must live in that because if you live in what is passing only and you're listening to all of the stuff on Twitter and you're, uh, you're worrying about all of the latest headlines and the latest political moves, etc., 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 that everybody's doing this, everybody's doing that, I need to change. Live in eternity. What is eternally true will always be true. The faith has not changed and will not change. The Catholic Church either has been a charlatan from the beginning, in which case it would have died. This imposter, they said of Christ, said that he would rise again, therefore put guards on the tomb so that he doesn't rise again. How many times have there been guards put on the Catholic Church? And on each occasion, it nonetheless rose again. The second thing I would say is, you know, be careful in the in the situation in which we are to stay calm, not jump to conclusions. You know that uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Andrew, the uh, the Pope uh, made some remarks about how uh, people who have rejected the church and are seemingly not in the church are actually in the church and they're fine and they're going to go to heaven. And then some people said, oh my goodness, this is it. The Pope's a heretic. I need to uh, realize that he is not the Pope. And I would say to them, hold on a second, don't lose the run of yourself. The Pope has said uh, this thing, but why is that different from what he said, you know, five years ago or uh, 10 years ago when he said things which were clearly, you know, heretical? For example, the Pope said some years ago uh, that good atheists go to heaven. Uh, why has he suddenly not been the Pope now uh, because he has said this one particular thing? What we need to do, in fact, in the crisis in the church is stay calm. What is the principle? I have to keep the faith that was passed on. And I must not uh, judge things that I am not sure that I can judge. To do otherwise would be a rash judgment. Archbishop Lefebvre said that the Pope is, in fact, teaching things which are contrary to the faith, otherwise called heresies. However, that doesn't mean to say that I can jump to the conclusion that he's a formal heretic and therefore that he's not the Pope. Uh, because even if he were a formal heretic, which I can't judge, only his superior can judge that, his superior being God, in fact, uh, even if I knew that he were a formal heretic, the Church has never taught for sure, therefore he would lose the papacy. So. I'm not, I'm not saying that these theories uh, are not uh, theories worth considering, but ultimately we're going to have to wait until there is a truly uh, faithful Pope and the Church will make sense of all of these things. So don't jump to conclusions, because if you jump to that conclusion, then okay, I need to be a Sedificantist. All right, well, what sort of the 250 different types of Sedificantists do I become? And often as people have done, 
uh, they find themselves, well, effectively, nobody agrees with me. Uh, therefore, you know, I can't go to anybody's mass. And uh, so follow Archbishop Lefebvre. Archbishop Lefebvre was clearly the, uh, the person whom God has given in this death of the faith to be almost like a, an Athanasius or a Dominic who's going to keep things going. And in God's good time, the, uh, the, the, the church will rise again. And also, I would say, uh, Andrew, to be careful uh, for parents in particular, be careful, you know, what sort of compromises you do. Um, Chesterton said elsewhere, don't teach children theories that are younger than they are. Uh, nowadays, in, in public schools and to a large extent in Catholic schools, there are all sorts of new theories which are completely wrong and completely untrue, which are being taught uh, to children. Um, for example, the so-called gender theory. I've heard terrible stories of very young children being told that, you know, you can decide yourself if you're a boy or a girl. You don't know if you're a boy or a girl, etc. Parents, you know, you cannot tolerate that. Take your children out. That is, uh, that is not something that, that you can do. These are all parts of the sort of death of the faith which are going on, or the death of civilization which is going on, because the Catholic Church built our Western civilization. Everything good in our Western civilization comes either from the Catholic Church or from good natural principles, and they're both being destroyed together now. Uh, we have to say, no, what is always true is still true. It hasn't become suddenly true in the last 20 years that actually you can choose which gender you are. It's uh, gender as a concept was invented in 1955. This is not the truth of human nature. And so people are going to call you, oh, you're stuck in the past. You're not stuck in the past at all. You're stuck in eternity. You're stuck in the unchanging truth. The Catholic Church looks out of date only because the changing fads and fashions are in fact water out of date. And uh, I would finish off, uh, if I may, Andrew, by, by saying to, to myself and to everybody, remember that the route to resurrection is not natural but supernatural. It is not natural uh, that Christ come out of the tomb. That is the power of God. That's supernatural. It's not natural that I... Uh, I'm cleansed of sin in confession. That is the work of God. And it's not natural that the Catholic Church rise again. It is supernatural. And therefore, the, uh, the essence of our faithfulness must be supernatural. <clears throat> it must be faith. It must be prayer, the sacraments, uh, Holy Mass. These are the weapons. Uh, people who do good work, let's say, uh, fighting against evil, like people who are anti-abortion, for example, they, they do all sorts of protests and they do, um, they do publicity, advertising. It's all fine, but it's not actually the weapon which is going to win the battle. The weapon that is going to win the battle is supernatural. It's prayer and it's penance. And so we have to prioritize that. Father, that, that's fascinating. Um, and it, it gives us a little bit of hope um, that this is, this is something that we will come out of. We meaning the Catholic church. Um, I think it was in a episode with father Ruder during the crisis series where he phrased it as, you know, this is a, 
We have to embrace the mystery of this crisis that we are in. We have to embrace this cross of this crisis um, and be able to trust that this is for a reason, that God is giving it to us for a reason, and just be confident in, in the fact that we will be let out of it at some point. Maybe not during your lifetime or mine, Father, but at some point it will. It certainly will, and it could happen. Uh, it could happen at any time uh, because God is in charge, and um, and that's why we have to be be confident and be ready to uh, suffer whatever needs to be suffered for Christ and for the faith, and uh, prepare for that by our own faithfulness in in small things. Could I finish, Andrew? Actually, by adding an addendum, which is to encourage people to read Chesterton. Uh, because like reading Chesterton is like uh, getting pure oxygen into your lungs. It's like uh, uh, getting sort of very strong coffee into your veins. Now, believe it or not, you can actually find Chesterton's books in mainstream bookstores. Uh, the only one you can find is called the Father Brown Stories, but that's an excellent way to start because the Father Brown Stories are detective stories, but Father Brown is a Catholic priest, and it's full of Catholic wisdom. And uh, it's strange to say, but you can get those in mainstream bookstores. And lots of the other books, perhaps a Lenten resolution for us would be to read a little bit of Chesterton every day. Uh, it's not in itself spiritual reading, but it's certainly good for the mind and good for the soul. Very good. That's great advice. Father, thank you so much for joining us with this today. Um, it's been great to speak with you again. Thank you very much, Andrew. God bless. All right, you too.